In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Easter, it turns out, takes some getting used to. The Gospel lesson puts this on display as it takes us back to the evening of the day of resurrection. The apostles have seen the empty tomb and have received the report from Mary Magdalene who spoke with the risen Christ. And yet, despite the witness of these two astounding signs of his rising, we still find the disciples hiding out of fear of the religious authorities. Why, though, should they be afraid of those who, having done their worst, had failed to conquer their risen Lord? There seems to be three reasons. The first is that despite the signs, there they still struggled to believe that he was risen indeed, that he might just be gone, and worse yet, they were going to be blamed for his body being missing. The moment with Thomas in today's lesson suggests that unbelief was not uncommon among even the twelve. Matthew 27 tells us that the authorities actually did suspect that the disciples would come and steal the body of Jesus And so they had stationed guards to prevent this from happening. The twelve huddled in that room knew that by that point in the day, the guards who had been stationed there next to the rolled stone would have reported to their bosses that Jesus' body was missing. The disciples perhaps feared being next in line after their master's execution, being accused and tried for stealing his body and inciting a conspiracy about his rising from the dead. The second reason is perhaps while they believed he was risen indeed, they anxiously wondered why it was he did not come back to see them. There was plenty to mull over in the darkness of that waning day, not the least of which being the remorse we know at least some of the disciples felt over having abandoned the Lord in the midst of his ordeal. St. Peter had spent much of the previous day weeping in shame for having cowered at the moment he had promised to be so bold. Christ had appeared to Mary Magdalene, but apparently to no one else. What must it mean that he is risen, and yet he has not come back to see his closest followers? Is it perhaps that he's going to let the enemies come and get them as well? Or is he himself holding back, deciding what to do with these who promised to be faithful and yet weren't? Like children who've been told to wait in their room until their dad gets home, the guilty conscience can supply all that is necessary to make the prospect of such an encounter a source of dread. So, like Adam and Eve in the garden, after their fall, the disciples waited in the dark, in the last place where life had made sense, before it all went wrong. And this is where Jesus meets them. His arrival is something of a paradox, though. He easily defies the locked door. He shows that they're really powerless and it's futile to hide from him. 
But also the first thing he says is not perhaps what they would expect, a word of accusation or a word of condemnation, a why or a how could you. Instead, he pronounces a simple Jewish greeting, peace, shalom. What starts out as a simple, polite gesture, but over the course of the history of Israel had acquired year after year through suffering, an immense meaning that God was expected to come and retrieve and rescue and redeem his people from all of their enemies. This was a word that haunted the words of the prophets in their writings, and now it was the word that Jesus spoke to them in the closed room. Christ, in saying shalom, declares to them peace, healing, forgiveness, and the setting at rest a guilty heart. He gives them the spirit of reconciliation, first to bind them back to himself again, and then to commission them to go out and bind others in the same spirit to him as well. Jesus comes to where they are hiding, and the first act of Easter is to lovingly push them out of their hiding place. And so those first two reasons for the Lord's delay and the disciples' fear give way to the third and actual reason. The disciples realize with this visitation and the things the Lord says to them that he is risen indeed, but that means that he was deadly serious and literal about all those words along the Galilean road about picking up one's cross and following him. It means that he expects them to go out now and, like Thomas had said a mere week before, to go and die with him. That's what really awaits them on the other side of that door. And on that first night, the disciples needed more than anything else a reminding that they were not being sent out along the way of the cross alone. In his epistle today, St. John, who was there in that locked room, reflects after many years of walking the way of the cross how Jesus continued to make good on that promise of peace and was with them all along the way. He recalls for them from his own experience of that Good Friday and that first Easter Sunday what he had experienced at the foot of the cross. And he gives them three images to talk about how Jesus is present with them of water, of blood, and of spirit. He himself, standing with Mary at the foot of the cross as the soldier's spear went into the side of Jesus, was covered by the water and blood that poured out of his chest. He was there among those huddled disciples when Jesus appeared in their midst and breathed the spirit upon them. And in this, he sees ways that Christ both overcomes the world and then overcomes the world through the gifts that he gives to his people. Water was ever in the mind of Israel, the sign of that formless, primordial chaos, the realm of the demonic, the uncreated, but one that had been overcome by the power of Christ, who had then hallowed the waters, bringing them to himself, making them what he would make them, the cleansing water of baptism, the door of entry to the church. The blood was ever the sign of sacrifice and the horrible cost of covering shame since the beginning. But in Christ, 
Blood became not an image of terror, but rather of nourishment in the wilderness, being brought out and given something to sustain life by the life of Christ. The spirit, ever in the mind of Israel, the image of wind and of a fire that could illuminate the dead of night and melt mountains to the ground, becomes a gentle breath and becomes the chrism of gladness that seals and confirms and empowers all of us to partake of God's own mission once we, like the disciples, get pushed out the door. Water, blood, and spirit all come from the heart of Christ. They are the means by which our Lord has conquered the world, and they are the means by which he is present among us, offering them to us while inviting us to follow him in that victory. But Easter takes some getting used to. It is why a week into the season we're returned to the morning of that first day. We're returned this morning to that first day, uncertain and in the dark about what to do next. The world outside has moved on with its life, as futile and brutal as that life is. But we who have seen the things that we have seen in Holy Week, we know that we cannot just return to the old patterns of life. We saw something in and around us that changed us, something that made it clear that our lives now had to be different going forward. But, like the disciples, we may be afraid of what that now means. We may still be afraid of what the world who killed Christ may do to us if we follow him as he commands us. We may still, in some ways, be afraid to meet the risen Jesus. All of us, have we not, at some point this week, said or done something that made us feel shame or tempted us to think that perhaps what we experienced last week wasn't all that real or perhaps didn't move our heart as much as we thought. But I want you to hear me when I say this. It was real. It is real. And it is that place in the heart that comes to mind, where the Lord especially wants to meet us this morning. The place in the heart that is still locked behind a closed door, and behind which we still sit, afraid to move. Open that door. Or if you cannot, ask him to open it from the other side and to come in. Locked doors are no problem for our Lord. He'll answer that prayer and he will help you see with a word of peace that you are not alone. Around us, after Eastertide unfolds, we have reminders that God is with us. We have the water of the font. We have the fire of the candle. We have the presence of our Lord in the body and blood of the Eucharist in the tabernacle. This morning, we must receive him again. We must be converted again. Let him nudge you out of your hiding place today. He means over the course of Easter to lead us out the doors again to overcome the world. And that will mean that every one of us will have to embrace our share of the cross and passion to partake of his suffering that we might partake of his glory. But it's okay 
if this morning all we can do is take a few tentative steps out the door together, believing a little bit more than we did coming in. This is, after all, the permanent shape of every Sunday after Easter, to be met by the Lord as we gather together, and then to go out with him in the power of his spirit that he gives us onward to victory. And Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father hath sent me, even so I send you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.